0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This is a weekly interview show that is all about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to Craft Sanity. Hi everyone i'm back (laughs) finally this is episode 48 of the craft sanity podcast the first episode of 2007 wow 2007 it's been an entire year since this little podcast was born i guess i just felt with two children under two that i had a lot of time on my hands and needed more to do i don't know if it was a hormonal thing or what but i started this podcast on maternity leave And I actually posted the first episode with the help of my husband, Jeff, fabulous man, the day I returned to work, which was a traumatic day. That's usually the way it goes with attorney leave. I am thrilled to be back. I really am. And I apologize for staying away so long. I I never intended to. Craft Sanity has been basically part of my life for the last year, and I missed it. I really did, especially since I have... Like six interviews pre-taped, and these are probably some of the most patient people in the world. I have some big plans for this year. And I want to continue. It'll be kind of more of the same. I'm not going to change the format a whole lot. Uh, The only thing I'm going to be doing is doing kind of an after show. Under normal circumstances, there will be no information about me during the show. So after you hear the final music play, you can stick around for the after show if you're interested. And if not, I'm not going to know. So you won't hurt my feelings. So you you do what you feel you need to do. And I'll talk away because that's what I feel I need to do. (laughs) It's kind of like breathing for me. So anyway, you've probably noticed that there's some different music. I never really intended to change my theme music, but kind of had to when I realized that the music that we picked a year ago that we thought was free turned out not to be free. So we paid our bill for last year to make sure we had complied with all the rules and regulations and copyrights and so forth. My husband kindly did the arduous task of removing that music from every episode and swapping in the new music. You will notice the new music is a little more intense. I decided to go with that because I'm in the midst of a major transformation. You know, and I'll go into details after the show, but um, I'm basically in this very public weight loss challenge right now. Today's show is really going to be pretty fantastic. I have been waiting a long time to bring you an interview with Jessica Vitkiss. She is the author of Alternacrafts that includes 20 high-style, low-budget projects that you can make. The cool part about this book is that these are projects you can make, for the most part, well, just about everything in this book that you would need to do the projects, you'd probably find in your house already. There's bottle cap lockets, which I just love. My sister made some of these not that long ago. There is... Projects for your home, projects to wear, everything from veggie print pillowcases to making a rug out of strips cut from an old t-shirt. My favorite project in the book is the Button Mosaic Flower Pot, which is basically, instead of using tiles or shards of plates that you've broken up, you use buttons, and it is fabulous. The result is just wonderful. I cannot wait to try this project myself. I mean, it's been out for a while. This is not a new release, but I... Just really was excited to get a chance to talk to Jessica. And let me tell you a little more about her. She is a writer and TV producer and, of course, crafting extraordinaire. She lives in New York City most of the time, but she kind of lives part-time in Austin, Texas, where she is right now. She is staying at her boyfriend's house. He's an artist, and he has this house that is basically made out of recycled materials. Okay, so back to Jessica's impressive resume here. She's written craft stories for Martha Stewart Magazine, and she's developed projects for the Martha Stewart Living TV show. As if that's not fun enough, she's helped create and produce Craft Corner Deathmatch, which was that satirical game show on the Style Network. Now, this is one that maybe even your significant other might want to listen to because these stories are going to rock. Um, She talks about The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, that she actually was a producer on that show as well. Also, she worked on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, pop-up video, and she did several other projects for MTV News. So basically, she has a lot of stories to tell, and I had a blast during this interview. So just make sure you're not, like, listening in a place where if you burst into laughter, it's going to be totally inappropriate. Be sure to check out Jessica's special Craft Sanity project. It's cool. It involves my favorite cereal, Cheerios. And no, they're not a sponsor, but wouldn't that be nice if they were? So grab a project, settle in. Let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. I'm so glad to get a chance to talk to you, Jessica. I think this is going to be really fun. I cool. love your book. Good. And your career path is extremely interesting and intriguing because you've worked with some folks that, that I just love, like John I Stewart. Have. Uh. John
1: Stewart, yeah. I, I definitely came to the craft scene in a very, very roundabout way.
0: Well, I'm hoping that we can kind of retrace your steps today. So why don't we start with, and I always start at the beginning. Where did this all start? I mean, have you always done crafts as a kid?
1: I was always a crafter. It weirdly skipped a generation. My mother's creative and supportive, and my dad is too, but they were not crafters. Uh, My grandmother is, so I think she was my first big influence. Uh, She's big with crochet and needle crafts of all kinds, Um, and she's still around and still makes stuff for me and still helps me, and we do things together. I've, like, torn out articles from Martha Stewart and sat down with her and, like, Grandma, we're going to cre- crochet snowflakes this year.
0: Okay. Oh, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> it's really awesome, and it's really uh, – and I go to her for advice. She's, she knows – you know, she's been doing this forever, and she's so fast and good, and um, she teaches me stuff still. So that's, that was really great when I was little. I loved visiting her and making things with her. But mostly I just got books. I taught myself from books. I would just hold myself up in my room and decide – that that week I was going to learn how to quilt, and would just do it and make lots of mistakes. I had no one helping me. I, I mean, I know I didn't let anybody help me. I just kind of would go into my little nerd cave, and <laughs> um, you know, it was my idea of fun. And, and I would make things for my friends for sure. And every now and then I'd get friends involved, but and then I would kind of get bored quickly, like with every musical instrument I took. And I, I was a big like mistress of many, master of none. Yeah. <laughs> um, which my brother reminds me of all the time, but it, it is true, and that's even kind of true in my book. You know, I do a little bit of everything. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have one big thing I'm great at. But yeah, I just taught myself stuff from books. I'd go to the library. I'd look in, I'd look anywhere I could to to find out where to learn stuff. I wish the internet was around back then. But so then I and I went to a summer camp that was really great. Did a lot of crafting there. So, but I always saw it as a hobby. I didn't. It it took me a long time to see it as something that people do for a living, and because it's so fun.
0: Right, right. It almost seems like it's not work.
1: Yeah, it's such a pleasure that how could it be, you know, it's my treat, it's not not my job. So it was a long, long time before it even occurred to me to make money at it, or just to do it for a living. So what did you end up studying in college? English, literature, and whatnot. And I was interested in, like, everything liberal artsy, culturally. Uh, And being in New York, I went to school in New York, so... Where did you go? What school? Columbia. Okay. Uptown. So so I was just running around, taking it all in, going to museums, going to concerts, you know, just learning about the city. And I I grew up in the city of Chicago, so I, I was very comfortable in the city, and you could walk around and get places, and it's so easy, and you see people, and probably where I'll always be. And then I was at Sassy Magazine, which... I don't know the age of your viewers, but the, the older ones might remember it. Um, oh, I
0: remember Sassy, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was good. It was, that was that was really influential and great. It was just being surrounded by wonderful women who were super smart. You know, they were feminist without saying so, and it was it it opened my eyes to a kind of I just a kind of smart lady that I loved being around. And you know, there was a really small group of us, like eight or nine of us, who put out the magazine. I fact checked the entire magazine, start to finish. Oh my goodness! Without the internet. Um, oh wow! And that must have took so long. To do- a lot of phone calls, a lot of trips to the library. But it was really a fun job, and it was a really fun way to learn to write because I was taking other people's writing and dissecting it, and pulling it apart, and examining it. Right. And uh, It was really, really great, great experience. And um, and then everybody there wrote, so I wrote columns, and I wrote pieces and that was a fantastic experience, and I thought, okay, I am I like writing. I'm going to be a writer. And then, what did I do? Then I went to MTV to help them, like, idea-wise with a show for teenagers, because I'd just been at this teen magazine, and I kind of stayed. I kind of stuck. Um, I had a wonderful boss who saw, had ideas, big ideas for me, and she taught me how to be a producer, and I loved, you know, exploring and reporting, and Back then, this is before reality TV, so there was one of the few jobs where you could make documentaries all day long, and that was really fun, too, to get sent to, like, a Lenny Kravitz concert one day and then, like, a student protest the next day, and I loved it. Um, Traveled a lot, and sort of like Sassy Magazine, it's just, like, by the seat of your pants. You can just get an idea, you go out and make it happen. So I did that for many years. Did MTV News, MTV Documentaries, but then I wrote a book. I actually wrote another book that with 4MTV, they started doing books to go with their shows, and I did a book that went with the Sex in the 90s series. It was this documentary series about sex and romance, and it was, it was like, again, a pre-reality TV, reality TV. They made many episodes. They re-ran them like crazy, and then they started doing books, which was fun, and I got involved in the book, and then I was like, oh yeah, writing is really fun. I really like it. And it kind of inspired me to put TV behind me and do more writing. And and basically, I've been going back and forth ever since between television and writing. And I'm not even crafting then. I'm just doing it at Christmas time for my family. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm crafting for fun all along, always. Then, what did I do? Then I went to Martha and TV. Oh, I left, I wrote for pop-up video, which was really fun. Yeah,
0: that had to be fun.
1: It might have been the most fun I've ever had at a job, I have to say, like, I really like working on a team, and it was just these wacky, like a mixture of um, comedians and filmmakers and people who had things to say that were smart alecky, and we just sat in a room together and like made fun of music videos. And uh, we also interviewed music video directors, which was so interesting. Back this is mid late '90s, and and video directors weren't really stars then i mean this is before like spike jones became a big director or michelle gondry who all came out of music videos Mm -hmm. and back then there's this director named g who's really great you know no one was sitting them down and asking them about what they do and and it was so fun to talk to them and they were inspiring to me because they were dealing with visual and writing and putting together you know telling stories but music videos unlike a film you know there's fewer rules you can get crazier and these people were total maniacs so that was a fun job.
0: Okay, so you're at Pop-Up Video, and, you know, the folks at home really enjoyed that. You just have to know that.
1: Um, okay. <laughs> I love
0: Pop-Up Video. Yeah.
1: It was really fun, and it's one of the few TV jobs where your writing goes straight to the viewer. Like, people read your writing on screen. Right, yeah. There's no yeah. one, there's no talent or actor interpreting it. So that right. seems like kind of a luxury as a writer to, to no one's going to mess it up. And if it's, if it's bad, it's totally my fault, and if it's good, I get the credit. Right. Instead of the show host or whatever. Um. So I did that, and then and I went to London, did a British version of that show for a while, for a year, and lived in London. That was wow. amazing. Yeah, I was just back there a couple weeks ago. And if anyone goes to London, go to the Victoria and Albert Museum because it's so great. And the and the fashion, the clothing collection, the hoop skirts and things from years gone by are incredibly inspiring, and it's so great. The the ironwork, the tiles, like just amazing objects from forever. Because, uh, you know, they're an old country. Mm-hmm. They made oh, a lot yeah. of stuff. Uh, and a lot of craftsmen and craft work there. Textiles that are amazing. To, uh, uh, it's my favorite museum, I think, in the whole world. But anyway, I lived in London, came back, and worked. Who <laughs> wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? That was It was not very crafty. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was <laughs> really fun. It was the crazy times when it was on, like, four nights a week with Regis Philbin hosting. And yeah,
0: that was pretty insane to have it on so much.
1: It <laughs> was. It was like, you know, sort of a sweatshop of writing questions. We were just writing questions all day long. And because there are all these rules that were born out of the quiz show scandals in the 50s, there were really strict rules. We couldn't talk to anyone else on the show who ever dealt with contestants. So there was a whole, all the people in the studio, we didn't really know them. We weren't allowed to see them or talk to them because we might, like, tell them answers and then they might tell the contestants. Oh wow! But if we never saw them, it, it was like you so know. It was like this whole quarantine. Yeah, it was like being on... in quarantine completely, behind locked doors. We were supposed to shred papers at the end of the day. I mean, it was crazy, but also really fun. Smart, fun people, locked in a room all day, like writing about pop culture. So, so where did you guys get your ideas for questions? Um, the dictionary. Yeah. Um, like, the writers would would just start at A, kind of go through the dictionary and get ideas, of things to talk about the news, websites. I mean, everywhere, anywhere and everywhere, there was such a demand for more and more and more questions that we would just always be looking like you'd be drinking a cup of coffee and then you'd look at your cup and look at the design on the cup and see if that could be a question. You got in this mindset of like, how can I make this into a question? Um, But it was fun.
0: How many questions a day would you guys have to write? Oh,
1: like 10 or 20.
0: Each each person? Yeah.
1: Like like, they had quotas and they changed. Um, I was actually the, the head writer, so I it was a blessing and a curse I wasn't writing questions I suggested ideas but I was more like a glorified English teacher and I would I would take their questions and and edit them and streamline them and shape them and make them fun and more interesting because those questions sit on the screen for like eight minutes and Jeopardy the questions fly by or almost any other quiz show but um for who wants to be a millionaire, the question is just sit there and you look at it from all sides so you can't have anything wrong.
0: Right, right, because people will notice. And night.
1: there was, like, a giant team of lawyers who were always wanting us to say, like, could you make, make it, like, maybe most of the time uh, a hot air balloon cannot go backwards. Like, they would, they would always want to make the language vaguer to cover things legally, but vague language is, is bad language. Right. If you're a writer. So I was always wrestling with the lawyers to allow specific language, and um, they, you know. And that was interesting, too, to think about. I mean, we would get in these crazy discussions of, like, can a hot air balloon go backwards? Now if the wind shifts and it changes directions, does that mean backwards? <laughs> and and all these, like, theoretical things, because the contestants would sue all the time saying that we didn't have the right answer there. Oh,
0: really? Contestants actually sue all the oh time? Oh, my God. All the time? Wow. I saw
1: the dark side of humankind. Um, wow,
0: yeah. Was, uh, people are at home watching the third night in a row of... <laughs> who wants to be a millionaire? I don't think people are thinking about that at all. Well,
1: meanwhile, you know, they'd have some question about, like, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and then they'd get home, and, like, every professor who studied Fitzgerald would call them and be like, actually, in the third edition, the third paragraph doesn't include that fact. Like, oh, they would goodness. find any way around it that they could, and they had the whole country helping them, or they could turn to the Internet or anywhere to to, you know, turn over every rock to find reasons why we might be wrong. So... In terms of, like, research and making every question, like, you know, airtight, was, it, w- it was tough. And it, we, you know, sometimes we would be wrong and have people come back. But that was, you know, it was just part of the, yeah. the challenge of it all. But it was fun. And uh, around then I started writing, I think it was then, I started writing for Martha Stewart on the side. I just needed to do something else with my brain. And, you know, I enjoyed making things and I enjoyed writing. Like, why not write about making things? So... I did. Did you just
0: approach the publication as like a freelance writer?
1: I did, and I like – someone knew someone knew someone who worked there, um, and I sent my resume and, you know, made a couple calls. But I remember I finally got a call to do an article um, to get my first assignment. I was elated, and it was about the history of hangers. (laughs) And at first I'm like, oh, what a dud. But then as I started to research it, like when you look closely at almost anything, it became completely fascinating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hangers are not that um, old. We've only had them in in our world, you know, 150 years, because people didn't buy clothes that were ready-made. People bought fabric, and people, people didn't display finished clothes in stores. They had fabric. And so it was, you know it wasn't until later in the 1800s that people started selling clothes that were already made and then they didn't have a whole plan on how to display it. It sort of evolved and a hanger is a weird thing. It's like a little person with shoulders. Right. It is. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it took them a while to figure it out. Should it have little clips? Should it have little notches? And so there were like you know, 80 different patents on how to do a hanger. And people had shelves. People didn't have closets the way they do now. And
0: mm-hmm. Well, people probably didn't have nearly as many clothes at all. You know, and they didn't
1: have as many clothes. Yeah. and. Um, so, it, you know, it was suddenly became fascinating. I got really into it and wrote about it. And then I went to the shoot. It, then there was a some fabric crafts. And um, I went to the photo shoot to help with that that day. And it was the first time I'd been to the Martha Stewart building. Um, she's got several offices, but it's her main office at Starrett City. I think it's called that. Beautiful old sort of warehousey building in in Chelsea, in Manhattan, and uh, everyone was super talented, really nice, I was just taking it all in, every every minute, every item, I remember just seeing, like, the stylist working with ribbons, and she had all these beautiful ribbons, and I knew I was in, like, the Martha Stewart world, and then another stylist was like, oh, you want to see the prop room? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I do, <laughs> so yeah. I go to the prop room, and also this building, it's an old factory or warehouse. So it's kind of sterile with like cement floors and a lot of security passes to get into places. So it's a little like you're in a hospital, which contrasts with like the homey warmth of right, Martha Stewart. Right, right. So I was wrapping my head around that. And then we pull into the, I guess, prop room. And it was like something out of the Natural History Museum. It was incredible. It was, it was rows and rows and shelves and shelves of things that her people had accumulated and cataloged, it was like, you know, floor to ceiling, 30 feet tall of like teacups. Wow. And then you pull out a drawer and it's fish forks, like a hundred of them, beautiful ones, antique, glorious ones. And then here's strawberry pots and here's, it it was like, I guess it's like, you know, people who get props for theaters and such have... It's a, it was a warehouse of props, but they were everything was so beautiful.
0: And totally organized. And totally
1: organized, and every little thing is different. I mean, I just wanted to, like, hide there and stay overnight and look at everything. <laughs> so that was, that was so fun, and I knew I wanted to do more work for them. So I did on the side, and I got burnt out on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with the Four Nights a Week and craziness. So I saved some money, did more writing on my own, ended up getting more involved in comedy, uh, writing, which is really fun, and I got a job on um, Jon Stewart on The Daily Show, now and that
0: had to be just awesome because I absolutely love his show. My husband loves his show. Like a lot of, it, he's just he's become, you know, just this person we turn to, and we're both. My husband and I are both journalists, so oh, good. We yeah.
1: think he rocks. He does rock. <laughs> and so, and I was definitely a fan, and kind of all my jobs I've ever had is there's something that I'm a big fan of: Sassy Magazine, MTV, game shows. Pop up video, and if you're a fan, then of course you want to do it. So right, I just right. kind of get myself in there. So I did that for um, John Stewart, and because I had all that experience at MTV doing, you know, news pieces, that's what I did for them. I did I did those field pieces where you go out with Rob Corddry or Stephen Colbert to the White House or some trailer park in Indiana <laughs> or wherever, and do the story on the kid with the big head. Um, <laughs> And that was really fun, so I did that for a while, but it was, also the burnout factor was pretty high, I was traveling a ton, and, you know, you're making a short film once a week, and, you know, the writers got to go home at four o'clock, and we did not, um, us producers, so...
0: I do have a question. They're not really reporters, but they are posing as reporters. Um, go out and they do these stories. I right. Mean, I look at that with a certain amount of envy because sometimes you come across just a real jackass when you're out there reporting, yeah. and you want to ask them the things that, the, yeah. that Rob Corddry and those folks get to say. The thing that always amazes me is like when you guys would come on scene with the whole, you know, the producer shows up, the you know, personality shows up, the guy is going to do the man or woman is going to do this piece. Right. But do people just not know what they're getting into or why in the world. Because if, you know, Rob Corddry was on my front porch and said, hey, we want to talk to you about craft sanity, I would pretty much expect that this is going to be a rip session. And I, I should either just go with it and be cool with that or you know it's, right. i'm going to get totally offended you know but what what kind of responses did you i mean get well that's
1: a good question i mean i i didn't understand how anyone would ever agree for us to come visit them <laughs> <laughs> like why would they why would they ever go and we didn't lie we basically you'd be surprised how much we didn't lie we didn't lie we couldn't because we uh, had to have them sign a release right and so right. the release says like this is going on the daily show and you are going to let us use your words and so we – I don't have an easy answer. Part of it is people love TV. People love to be on TV. So they don't really think about
0: what kind it's, of TV they're on. And
1: yeah, or they just think it's going to be okay, or they're just excited to be involved with something special, and it feels special. It feels like an exciting thing to have happen in your everyday life, and it is. Uh, I mean, I'm excited to be on a podcast, so why wouldn't they be excited to be on a show? And we would, you know, book it a few days ahead so they had a chance to see the show, and sometimes people would – Um, Change their minds, but
0: (laughs) um, no. Did people? Did you ever interview? When you probably, you guys probably totally did. But did did you feel you show up and be like, okay, this person
1: clearly has no idea what the Daily Show is. I mean, did you ever? It was just so apparent to you at times. I mean, we would have to explain at least somewhat what we are because they're going to see it. Their friends are going to see it, right? But we would tell them truthfully. You know, it's a political satire show, and and mostly we really made fun of ourselves. I mean, usually Rob Cordry or whoever is making themselves into a jackass. Right, so right, just asking, right. asking the dumbest question possible, <laughs> the wrongest question possible. <laughs> right. And, you know, they were. the show was starting to win Emmys then, so we were like, look, you know, it's a very smart show, and we win awards, and we're really going to make fun of ourselves. And we also would say, truthfully, that and you probably do this in your job, you don't have to answer any question you don't want to answer.
0: Exactly, right.
1: And that's the thing that would make me feel better about it, I would remind people, like, you don't want to answer something, just don't. We can't, but but people would still, they would either forget that or they get caught up in the moment, and then they would, like, give us gold. And we would go home and edit it, and, but, you know, those are real people, you know, we think, people think we fake answers and lie, and we really don't.
0: Oh, no, no, as a reporter, I have seen and heard some just amazing things that, I, I just, you know, you you want to say, okay, do you remember the part where I said I'm a reporter and you're totally on the record here? Right. People just say ridiculous stuff, but you guys um, were able to really capitalize on that. Did you ever have people that would, you know, consent to everything and then they see it and then they call because they couldn't believe, you know, because they just really didn't get it until they saw it on TV?
1: Yeah, but by then... It's,
0: well, there's nothing you can do. but Nothing they could do. I'm just curious about how often that happens.
1: Not that often, I mean, so once in a while, or people would finish the interview, and then they'd realize what they'd said, and they'd call and say, please don't use this or that, and I would try to respect that as much as I could, but they'd still find it, and they still said it. Yeah. Um, you know, people's lives are more important than a television show, so I would I would try to do my best to not wreck their lives, but I don't, right. I don't think we did. I mean, I really do think we mostly made fun of ourselves, we make fun of the media, and... um it's really super old school daily show that really made fun of people. Um, I think the if you watch the the field pieces now, they're more they're a little more like big thinking essay type ideas with experts getting interviewed instead of like look at this crazy guy like
0: right right it's light it's stuff developed on fire. right oh. it's it's developed a lot the the way the show and also the media just serves it right over the plate a lot and right. I'm, I'm obviously part of the industry but. Um, I think the network sometimes really, it's right over the plate, you know. So John doesn't have to do a whole lot of work with it, you know. Or politicians, what politicians say and do. Um, You know, and Cheney shot his pal. I mean, you know, that... That's yep. right over the plate. And I, as soon as I heard that, I saw the news alert at work, and I was like, oh, boy, The Daily Show is going to have a field day with this.
1: Did you see it that day? It was so good. I, yeah,
0: and I, and I was like, well, my first thought, I need to back up. My first thought is, oh, my gosh, I hope the poor man's okay. <laughs> He's going right. to make it. And then I'm like, okay, The Daily Show is going to have a field day. But really, did you have a favorite an interview or segment that you helped uh, produce?
1: Um, I have a couple. I mean, there was one I did with Stephen Colbert, who is, by the way, the sweetest. Man on Earth, love him <laughs> so great, so smart. Uh, we went to the White House. It was when Dick Cheney. They were building basically like some sort of underground bunker for, for Dick Cheney at the um, what do you call it? The naval the naval headquarters in Washington D.C. is where Cheney lives, and and there were all these explosions going on in the neighborhood, and the neighbors were complaining that there were all these explosions. It was unpleasant, and so we didn't. We did a piece on like. <laughs> neighbors so was always complaining lighten up um, and so you know we made th- the, the neighbors were annoying that the people who were complaining were just a bunch of whiners um, and I'm sure he was just building like a hot tub on, in the basement um, so we went to the White House to get we interviewed the neighbors and then we go to the White House and interviewed this really great guy um, I don't remember his name but like an admiral who was also like the publicity guy who spoke to the media and of course this is you know this is what year? 2002 or three? So September 11th. Rules are we're bringing we're bringing camera equipment into the White House. So we spent forever getting through security. I mean, it looks like a bomb. The, the things in our camera cases and lights and sound equipment. And I finally get there and we get it in. And this admiral was so great. Like he his kid was a fan of the show, so he got it. But he still like played the part of like a government spokesperson uh, with his little like admiral outfit and um and at the end we had we had like had this idea we never thought it would come true but we're like um admiral you you remember um an officer and a gentleman in that final scene where he <laughs> carries her away we can we do that and he's like yeah okay and we wanted him to carry Stephen colbert out also this man was like five foot five and steven's big um <laughs> And I was like, this is too good to be true, and he's going to change his mind. So I, like, turned to the the crew. I'm like, we're doing this one shot. You're setting it up fast. And we had – we did it. It turned out great. We had everybody on staff, like, play the people. You know, in the scene an Officer and Gentleman, yes. everybody in the factory is like, oh, my God, and <laughs> clapping and crying. And um, the other staff in the office, they're all in uniform, and they did that part, too. And the man carried Stephen Colbert, and Stephen's wearing the little, like – Navy hat. I think I, re- I remember this one.
0: Oh gosh, and, yeah, I I love the show so much. Um, yeah, that was so that. I can see why that's a favorite of
1: yours. But to be in the White House and have them like play along and <laughs> it was you know a real pleasure and a treat. And the piece turned out great. And you know they were good sports.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So that was that was definitely fun. But I needed my crafting to um to keep me to keep my hands busy. And-
0: so did you craft on the on? while you're traveling from place to place for shoots and all that.
1: Uh yeah, I craft on planes. I craft. It's definitely a calming activity, so I I I usually try to bring something with me. But you know, it's hard to travel now with needles. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. I'm a big embroiderer and uh and you know, I'm not going to hijack a plane with an embroidery needle, but they don't they don't like it.
0: They don't like embroidery needles. I knew knitting needles. I didn't like those. But I know
1: wooden needles. I've gotten on and embroidery needles. Uh, I I've been putting them lately in an Altoids box. I don't know if they just don't care. But I I harbor the illusion that I've fooled the federal people uh, by putting my my needles in a little metal box and and putting it in my handbag. And it's it's gotten on. I don't bring scissors. They don't they don't let you have scissors. But I tear with my teeth.
0: Yeah, and they have those little contraptions in the craft aisle where you can get um, something hanging around your neck and it looks like a pendant. Oh. But if you, um, I think Clover makes these things and, and several different brands, but you can, they have little notches where you can put your thread in there and it'll nice. cut it.
1: I also, so. well, one flight I took um, the thing, a little dental floss case. It's oh, It's got yeah. the thing where you tear the dental floss. Yes. That works. Doesn't Ingenious. work. Doesn't work great, but it works. No, it works
0: better probably than your teeth. Too. Better than my teeth. Yeah. And then you get you have floss stuck in your teeth when the <laughs> when the flight attendant comes down and asks you if you'd like any a beverage. You know? Right. You're like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure you wouldn't be as dorky
1: as I. <laughs> uh no, pretty dorky. I dork it out all the time.
0: <laughs> I specialize in dorky sometimes, but my goodness. Well, so did you ever get like uh, Stephen Colbert or John Stewart to craft with you?
1: No, no, there, not so much. No, I, 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 I wouldn't uh, emphasize that side of my talents.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, around them, but you know, I make things or like a brighter on t-shirts, and people notice, and I'll say I made it. But yeah, you know, back then, and I was also so busy working really hard, I didn't have as much time to do it as much as I wanted. Right. And
0: probably wouldn't have been really impressive to be sitting when you're supposed to be working, sitting right. around crocheting or something. Yeah. I
1: know. Well, I liked your story about uh, trying to knit while you were on hold when you were at the office. And I Yeah.
0: It doesn't get – it doesn't go over real well, though. No. It makes you look like a slacker. It, it makes you look like a slacker, which cracks me up because I'm just like, you know, for Pete's sakes. I mean, people can be killing themselves out on the back um, by the employee entrance one puff at a time, you know, uh, on several breaks
1: throughout the day. Right. Know? So. Well, you know where that's not uh, where you're not considered a slacker if you knit is at Martha Stewart. And one of my favorite things, one year I went to the um, – they have a big Christmas, um, a day-long sort of talk where you go over – everyone goes over to the main office, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of employees. And it's part party, part like State of the Union, and they tell you how things are going, you know, financially and new ideas for new divisions of the company. It's kind of a state of things. And it's long; it's many hours, and many, many people bring their knitting. And it's like a culture and environment where that is just fine. If you're going to listen to people give speeches and slideshows and things, you can sit there and knit, and people totally do it. And it's, it's nothing wrong with it; no one cares. It's, if anybody's going to understand, it's that crowd. So.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe someday I'll get to sit in a chair and knit at one of their. their
1: I know. Their annual—you uh, said
0: this is their annual party or convention or the year in it's review the, it's or the,
1: like year-end kind of wrap-up. Okay. Event—it's sort of a day-long thing that's fun and, well, and that, information. Yeah, well, that
0: corporation uh, runs like. Just There's a lot
1: going on there. A lot of divisions.
0: So, are you still associated with Martha Stewart Magazine and all that?
1: Um, not officially. I, you know, I'm a freelancer in general, so um, they could. I haven't, I haven't freelanced for them in a while. Um. I was writing for the Kids Magazine, but that sort of... Yeah, folded. what happened to the Kids Magazine? I miss I don't that. quite know. I think it just sort of got incorporated into other parts of the company. Yeah, and they too bad. Have, I really enjoyed that. It was really good, and, and my style is a little more, like, playful and silly, so I did I did well there. I, I tried to write a couple of times, got a couple of assignments from the Weddings Magazine, which is really beautiful and elegant and amazing, but like, my style of writing is not beautiful and elegant and amazing, so... I had to try really hard to like rein it in and be a little more serious and uh it didn't <laughs> it didn't really totally fly cuz they didn't come back for more but um <laughs> you know I the last I worked for them a lot was I left the Daily Show um and called up my editor at Martha Stewart and said all right I give me everything you got I got lots of time I'll do lots of articles I'll do lots of stuff and so I started doing more writing for the magazines and then I came in for a meeting at the offices and I ran into somebody from um, the TV show who actually used to be at MTV. So she's like, oh, you got to come out to Westport. This is before jail, so she had her show in Westport, Connecticut. Come out to Westport. We could use some producers. We need some help. I'd love to, you know, have lunch with you out there. So I go out to Westport to interview for a producer job and... So that's where i had more experience. Now mind you i haven't i've written about crafts i've never no one's ever paid me to make crafts to this. to to that day and you know i was probably what 34 35 by then. Um so i go to the meeting and i get a tour of the westport um the westport studio mm-hmm. which is a converted i don't know what it's really charming. It's got these big gardens. Um used to be like a House or a little factory or something. It's this cute, like stone building. It's really cute and appealing. And and of course the studio is like all like recreations of Martha's homes, and that's amazing too. And then I get to the craft room, and it was sort of like my day at seeing the prop room back at the, her <laughs> other office. I was like, just leave me here. Right, there, right. There's just shelves and shelves and shelves with bins and bins and bins of like twigs, and buttons, and bias tape, and um, tiles, and Japanese paper drills, and just all the best. She's all about finding the best of everything, so, and it was really, really organized, as you might imagine, mm-hmm. and beautiful tables to work on, and uh, lovely people, and I it was like, the clouds parted, and the angels wept, like, I did not want to leave that room and um did you cry at all no i'm just <laughs> i cried within when i had to step out You were like quietly weeping to mm-hmm. it was like it was total craft nirvana and can you imagine the craft department no i i, I really
0: can't and i i someday i do hope to see organized it organized
1: by category and, and like and the people working there were all like rhode island school of design graduates and and everyone was dressed really cute and And they had all this stuff to work with, and they're all making their cute projects. And I just was like, it also reminded me of, like, my summer camp. It just, I wanted to be there. So they kind of offered me a job as a producer, and I was like, well, I want to craft. I'm like, yeah, you're not a crafter. You're a producer. And so so I didn't work there. I didn't get a job. But then they, they needed me for temporary help.
0: Oh, so you turned down a producer job? Yeah, I did. Because you wanted to craft? Yes.
1: I don't, know. I don't want to be in the control room. I want to yeah. be in the craft room. It would yeah. be like torture. You probably would
0: have got canned anyway because they would have found you in the craft room. I,
1: totally. <laughs> Making craft. No. Oh, yeah. And when I, <laughs> when I did work there later to give away the ending, I, people would always be slipping in there to make stuff, to, like, escape and, like, i gotta, I got a birthday party tonight. i got to make something. i got to make a card. And they would come in there like it was the playroom. Um, but I did, I got called back to be temporary help with the craft department because Halloween is huge. It's like Martha's favorite holiday. So I helped with some Halloween stuff, and I just kind of made – did my best to do my best, and they kept me. Um, So I worked there part-time for, I don't know, six months, nine months, Um, and it was – that was amazing, delightful. I learned so much. And I was with – really, I worked with the rest of her staff who were so – she picks not just the best art supplies but the best people – so I felt like I was in art school with these other people who knew so much and studied art and tools and materials and were like costume designers and handymen, and they had all these amazing skills for real. And I just learned as much as I could from them every day, and that so was, was I feel t- like that was art school. What was a
0: typical day like when you worked in the craft department?
1: Um, you'd take a two-hour train from New York to Westport. Wow. 2 hours commute each way. But that ended up being okay, too. I ended up striking up really nice friendships with the other people who worked there because we were on the train together um, for so many hours a day. Got a lot of reading done. Uh, but I would get there. Um, because the studio was kind of isolated out in Westport, we had meals on the premises. They would have... Well, I'm going out of order. Um, you get there in the morning and you... Um,
0: what time were you getting there?
1: Let's see. I was taking like a 7 a.m train and then you get to the Westport station and then they come get us in a little van or a, like it was sort of like having the short bus come get you <laughs> to go to to go to the studio and um but it was fun and it was you know you're out in the country sort of and you, the van would have to stop the so ducks could cross the street and things like that um and then you pull in and you had your assignment that you were working on and it was a mixture of either developing your own stuff some days they would, the, the, our, you know, department heads would come in and say, "Okay, we, we're doing a Thanksgiving table, and we need place cards for kids. We need a good idea for a place card for kids." And then, boom, we all like just start brainstorming, and one person's over there making one out of twigs, and someone over there is making it out of candy, and we're all trying to sort of fulfill its assignment. It's a little like Project Runway, really, those days. Mm-hmm. Um, but we but more healthy We like help each other and work on things together. Was it
0: competitive because you wanted your project to win, like mm-hmm. to get picked for
1: the magazine or the show or a little bit. I mean, you always want your project to get picked, but we were stuck together all day and there was a lot of helping each other and you know, what color should they use? And or, or you'd see somebody doing something, and they're like, Well, if you if you show that by machine instead of by hand, you could zigzag it and that would be cooler and oh yeah. Um, and sort so people, a lot of collaboration. A lot of collaboration, and also different people in that room had different skills and different areas of expertise. So somebody's better at sewing, and somebody else is better at metalwork, and somebody else is really good at jewelry. And So you would kind of, if you're doing like a wire project, you go to the jewelry girl to help you figure out how to work with the wire and what wire would be right. And
0: How many people were in the room?
1: Uh, it, it varied, but... Usually, uh, five or six or so. Okay,
0: so it's kind of like a small group.
1: Yeah, that must well, have
0: been just the most awesome thing to like work. Your work is craft
1: every it, day. Yeah, I mean, I I thought I'd like gone to heaven. I was in, you know, Martha Stewart's a hero of mine. Yeah, you, you read the magazine forever, learned a ton from it because I'm all about learning from books and magazines. Yeah. Um, and there I was, but yeah, it was really fun. And then we would. We develop our projects. Oh, but other sometimes it was freeform, like come up with, you know, we need, we need Christmas ornaments, and everybody would just work on Christmas ornaments, any kind. And other days it was, oh, there's this article from the magazine about making things with acorns. And we would have to translate it from the magazine to TV. Okay. Uh, which is also fun and interesting. And what, you know, how do you translate it? What steps is she going to show? Um, which projects do you do? And then you, you often make the the, the final beauty once at the end that they would show, that was f- always fun making those. Um, and then sometimes you would just like develop something that you just had an idea to do and hope that she liked it.
0: Do you I mean, have a favorite it, thing that you picked that you designed or developed when you were there? Um, well, anything we'd recognize. I'm a, uh, I've been a subscriber a long time myself.
1: I well, I definitely worked on lots and lots of projects from the magazine that I didn't invent. And I also like working on other people's projects. When I was writing for the magazine, I wasn't inventing projects. I was taking other people's projects. You writing
0: articles. I yeah. am writing
1: an article about it. So I'm very used to translating other people's work, and I like it. I, I learn from it. Early on, I did a piece. Actually, my first segment that was my idea that went on the air was coasters. It was for our autumn leaves episode. They all had themes. Autumn leaves, they were coasters in the shape of leaves. They were cut out of cork, and then you painted the cork, you know, purple and red and gold and autumny colors. And then you um, sewed felt to the bottom and the the stitches were the veins and the leaves. Oh, cool. So it's practical. And I I really, in general, love sewing on things that aren't fabric. I love anything you can poke with a needle, you can sew. (laughs) Um, It's my motto. And so right away I started looking for, and I like sewing on paper. So I was like, well, I bet you could sew on cork. And could and so I developed this project and she does it on air and I just um it was really fun to go through the whole process beginning and end like this vague idea and then running around her her estate the studio has this lots of trees so I was running around like finding leaves and tracing them and xeroxing them and getting the shapes and but then at the end you when it's show day you get everything ready for her and it's really fun I mean and it's also a fun way of thinking. You have to um, break down a project into steps. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a three-minute TV piece, so you can't show every step. So what step are you going to show? What step's the most important? How do you, how you make it easy? And, it, and, and by breaking it down for her to do on air, it's also breaking it down for the audience to get it, too. And then you set up this table, and there's, like, you know, there's all these different tables, like, rolling in and out. Because in a day, they would shoot, like, 15 segments. I mean, it's basically live to tape. You don't stop. It's, it's as if it were live TV, even though it was tape, but she had to do so much per day that you, you just you spend two minutes setting up, three minutes, maybe five minutes shooting, and, like, two minutes breaking down, and then she's on to the next thing.
0: Wow. So there's not a lot of retaking and reshooting? Oh, or...
1: none. I mean, unless somebody's, like, head is on fire, you don't, you don't stop.
0: Now, do you have any point where you tell her anything about it? Like, you say, okay, this is what you do next? or Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Uh and it was it was weird the first time people were a little like, "Oh, are you are you going to tell her how to do it?" And I'm like, I was new and a you know, low man on the totem pole. I'm like, someone else can tell her, but I if she has questions, I'll have the answers." And they're like, "Okay, you tell her." But it was kind of a big deal. And she's and she learns it, you know, you could give her the tutorial on how this project works like right before she goes on air because then it's fresh in her mind and the objects are all right there for her to look at, and you know they 've got their system down they 've been doing it for years before I got there, so you spend all morning like laying out this table and laying out the tools and making it all clear where what goes where and by the way, her favorite tool is what do you call it that little bone uh, a bone folder, no matter what the task is, no matter what the craft, she wants a bone folder there and and I, I just love like it 's like preparing before surgery like you get the surgeon's tray of things like you get her tray ready and you always have to have a bone folder no No matter matter, what no matter what even if it's not even required even if it's not required you get a bone folder she has certain like mats she likes she has certain things you kind of learn what she likes and you want her comfortable you want her to do a good job so it's always like get get the little mat get the green one she likes the green one there's a lot of getting ready so what was it
0: like when you had your brief meeting with her like did you introduce yourself to her before, or was there even time for that?
1: No, not even really time for that. And, you know, so many people are coming and going, and she's getting makeup, and, you know, there's all the, like, lighting people and there. There's probably, I don't know, 20, 30 people in the room. So your name is, like, the least of her troubles, and that's fine. Uh, yeah, you just walk her through it. You know, you, you're like, okay, you start here, and then you mix the paint into the water to dilute it, and then use it to paint the paint the leaves, and, you know, she she listens and she watches, but there's, like, she's getting her nose powdered at the same time. So it's like you just try to be as, like, clear and succinct as you can to help her do it. What I learned after a while was really just lay it out on the table in a way that anybody could figure it out. Like, you tell her, and she's also got teleprompter that's walking her through the steps. So between the teleprompter and, and, and explaining it ahead of time and just making it obvious, you start on the left, you move through the steps... It'll be fine, and she's smart. She knows how to do all this, mm-hmm. so um, so it would turn out okay. There was one time I had to stop her, which is like a nightmare because they don't want to stop. They're on a very strict schedule. But I was teaching a craft of uh, reverse appliqué, and and she just started doing it. I don't remember what it was. She started cutting where she shouldn't cut, like something we, we'd have to really start all over. So I like spoke up and made them stop and explain. It's just you don't want to be that person in that moment, but.
0: Yeah, when you're correcting Martha Stewart, and you don't like want to 20 be correcting people. Yeah. yeah,
1: but it turned out okay, and you know they edited around it. And and I was I was on the show too for a segment, and that was that was quite an experience, but also fun, and you know a little harrowing. Yeah, was, <laughs> were you really nervous? I I was, uh, but you're in a studio, so you kind of forget the cameras and it's craft, so that's something I'm very comfortable with, and. Which segment were you on? What, what were you teaching, or what were you working? It on? was uh, a segment on potholders. Those little potholders you weave. Oh yeah, on I that love those. Loom.
0: I actually have on. Uh, I bought a wooden version of that loom not too long ago. Oh nice! You know
1: yeah. there's there's a lot of cool variations on that. There's there's places that make um, wool loops, and they make these beautiful wool potholders mm-hmm. instead of the usual like nylony ones. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole world of like loops and potholders and. So, of course, I spent a week, like, exploring it. Plus, it's a really good way to teach weaving because you can you can make interesting weaving patterns. You get, like, kids can do it. So I got totally into the potholder scene for, like, a week. And I was so excited about it. The producers were like, well, why don't you do the segment with her? And I said, okay. And um, so it just made it way more nerve-wracking because I prepared the segment the way I always would. And then and I had this added element that it was me. In there, and we were making, you know, it's kind of a kid's craft, so we had a kid in the segment as well. I got, like, my friend's niece to be the, she was, like, a 12-year-old girl, and we made, like, a lipstick case out of potholders that you then turned into, like, a little a little bag <laughs> with a button. And so it was me, and it was Martha, and it was the girl, and there's all these rules, like, you can't, you can't look at the teleprompter because she's the host, so you kind of have to talk to her or look down. It was hard for me. I remember just trying to, like keep my eyes down so I didn't look in the wrong place. And but, and I had, you know, makeup on, and I never wear makeup. And But it was fun, too. It was fun to talk about the things I love to talk about. Yeah, was
0: that for you the moment when you're like, wow, I'm really, I'm on Martha Stewart? I mean, was that?
1: It was pretty good, I guess. But you were
0: already part of the scene, so it wasn't like
1: yeah. it would have been your
0: first day and they throw you into a segment, you know? I mean, this was, you had time to adjust to...
1: I think the moment I really felt like, wow, I I've I've like had my tra- craft dream come true was either the first day I walked into the craft room as a crafter or really I think the first time they picked my craft to go on the air. I do not require the spotlight whatsoever. In fact I, I kinda don't like it. So I being on air was not the be all end all. It was a little scary and a little like not me, but it was um but it was fun to it was the most fun was having my craft. Make yeah. It, oh yeah. Craft, I would be like
0: doing victory dances. I mean, seriously, I, I got paid to craft. I mean, I don't yeah. even know. I wouldn't be able to like contain myself. Yeah. And being on TV is not a a, a dream or aspiration. I, yeah. Anything I aspire to, but that had to be kind of cool.
1: It um, was. It was definitely all cool, and I it, it was all cool. Yeah, I probably would have acted
0: inappropriately and be like, "Hey, Martha, high five, You know.
1: <laughs> well, that it actually <laughs> didn't is, go smooth as silk. I mean, the piece turned out fine in the end, and I had a really good time doing it. But basically, you you know, you walk her through the craft, and you you do the steps. But obviously, you can't do the whole thing, so you jump to the important steps, and you jump over some of the processes. And and so I had it all planned out. Of course, I like went over it ten thousand times in my head, and memorized you know the order of things. And what I didn't really take into account, and it was dumb of me because we watch her in the studio all day when we're in the craft room there's a there's a there's a tv showing what's going on in the studio so we know what she's doing when she's on air we know what she's doing when she's off air we know her style and so we start so cut to my moment with her we're doing the potholders i'm just teaching the basics of like how to set up the loom and do the design and get it going and so we get it going and then i'm like okay so once you've And here's how you take it off the loom. And then once you finish, you have some, you know, here's a complete potholder. And that's a craft supply. You can make things out of that. You can make placemats. You can make bags. Uh, We're going to make a little lipstick thing. And so as I'm going on my spiel, she's not leaving the earlier step. She wants to finish her potholder, which, of course, she does. She's Martha Stewart. And she wants to craft, just like us. She wants to finish what she started. She doesn't want to leave it. It's it's fun. It's satisfying. She's weaving a potholder. She wants to finish it. So she weaves it, and then she starts to take it off. And you, you said you just got a loom. There's, like, you know, you take it off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I, crochet. Like I've, you, had, I've
0: had a loom since childhood, but I just got a new one, yeah. but it's Okay, like, yeah, you, you have to know loop, how to take you... it off.
1: And it's, like, a basic, like, crochet ending. Like, the loop goes inside the loop goes inside the loop. Right, but like, right. As you get towards the end of taking a potholder off it, it gets, it gets tough. Like, yeah, it can it, kind of fall apart a little bit. if It can not fall careful. apart. You have to keep tension on it. And there's a couple tricks to do it better, but we just had... I had skipped that part in my spiel. I just told the general process of how to make the edges end, you know. So I look over and I see, I'm like, I think I'm doing great. And I'm going through this and I'm working with the kid and we're putting on buttons. And I look over and her, her paw holder is like a little snarly (laughs) tangle. Oh, no. And, but, you know, even that's not so bad. Like it's an opportunity to, to explain that, well, actually you need to keep tension on the loom. Or this is what's going to happen, and she's like, "Well, you didn't tell me that." And oh she, no,
0: so she got a little mad.
1: And she was right; I didn't tell her that, but I wasn't. I didn't know she was going to do it. But you should account for everything. So hers came out a little snarly. She kind of fixed it, and I showed her how. And we like took the moment to work on it, and we went on, and it was fine. But it, it, hers was a little wonky in the end, and um, and it was my fault. But you know, it was it was charming, and the viewers like it when she's not perfect, and. The producers were happy, but I think she was not totally thrilled.
0: Now, was I can't believe that'd be the first time that she would make a looper pat holder. But was it the first time?
1: Uh, I I don't know. I don't know. I mean she has a daughter and she probably her daughter probably made them. Um, it might have been but, you just know you't have to ago. relearn. Yeah. And who's going to remember the, like, secret trick to keeping it, to taking off the loom properly? You're like, yeah,
0: probably only wackos like me who've never stopped making those packs. Right. <laughs> so. I still love making those. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a big-time weaver. I, I love even yeah, everything from floor looms. I have from floor looms, and I also love just the packet. I've been going around with those wee vets oh, good. in my backpack. And so I'm actually making some little two-inch squares I'm going to turn Oh, into something. cool. Yeah. So I'm big time into that. But, well, that had to be just, uh, yeah, one of those experiences where you're like, oh, boy. You want it, everything to go swimmingly when you're standing next to Martha Stewart. Right. You know, so she can beam with pride as she right. looks at you.
1: <laughs> and, you know, you think if you just go over it a million times and then something you had thought of it happens, it's just you can never be quite prepared. But, um it, it was still really fun. I think the segment turned out well. I think her potholder was even, was even good, but, you know, she's got, she's got high standards. She That's does. Why we love her. She does.
0: So you were at Martha Stewart for, for how, you said, about six, eight months you yeah. spent there?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, I think it was less than a year. But, um, and then, you know, then she, she got the conviction and things kind of wound down around there. What was
0: so. it like at Martha Stewart it, to be part of her company when that happened?
1: It was, it was tough. Were I mean, people like,
0: what was the mood?
1: Um, people were worried, you know, people wanted to keep their jobs, people were worried for her, she obviously, obviously it was a hard time for her, I, you know, people didn't know, people, people didn't expect the convictions to come down like that, they thought things would be fine, and we, I mean, I guess the people behind the scenes were planning for, if this happens, then that, and if this happens, then that, you know, I wasn't involved in that part of the scene, but... It, and people, we all knew this was going on, and we watched the news. It wasn't like the elephant in the room; no one talked about. Um, right. I don't know. we were just worried. Like our leader was having a hard time, and it was it was worrisome. So, were you actually
0: laid off, or were you? Atten- were you well, I was attempting- freelance. I was kind okay. of a freelance
1: helper, and, okay. and they just like needed less and less help as, and, as things sort of wound down. So, yeah, I think a lot of us freelancers just sort of they didn't need us anymore. Mm-hmm. So, so you um, moved on. but I was. It, it was sad because that job was so fun and, uh, but I, I, stayed friends with a lot of the people I worked with and, um, definitely kept craft in my world. And it taught me that I can, can do it as a job and gave me a lot, it gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and I felt like I could hold my own with people who went to art school or at least eventually I could. And so that was, that was inspiring. And around that time I got a book deal. I mean, I realized, you know, I'm I write, I'm a writer, I make crafts, why don't I write a craft book? Plus, I learned from craft books, so I had an idea that became the book that you have. Um, I just wanted to write the book that I wanted to have. This was, you know, the indie craft scene was not as widespread back then. And what
0: year, take me to, what year were you working on your book? I think it was
1: like late... I guess it's 2003-ish. Did you send your proposal, out, a book
0: proposal, out when you were still working with Martha Stewart, or was it yes. after?
1: No, it was. It was then. I mean okay. While I was at Martha Stewart, I was learning. I was learning and thinking and um, about what the craft would be, and so I wrote a proposal while I was at Martha Stewart, sent it out, um, and got a book deal with um, Stewart, DeBoré, and Chang, and they make beautiful books.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: sure uh, do. But you know, back then, their books—they didn't have look for younger crafters. Uh, I think there are more. I don't know. They, they But they definitely wanted to, and so that's why they brought me aboard. And so I originally was going to make this book just for teenagers, because it's kind of my favorite audience. But my editor, um, who you know, Melanie Felix, mm-hmm. um, was like, "No, you know, this this isn't just for young women. This is for people. I want to make these things. People in their 30s want to make their th- these things. People in their 50s want to make them. It's like great, you know." The more the better, so I sort of broadened the idea of it to be for everybody, but it is it is if you've seen it it's pretty basic, so you't don't, you don't have to have a lot of experience to to make the things in it and you know it's it's, it's very craft 101 variety pack um, so so I got the book deal and and when Martha ended i got I spent a lot of time working on the book and so you had
0: kind of, of something stuff. else to occupy your time and efforts. right and how long did you spend? coming up with other projects
1: um well, it, you know the Martha Stewart experience was fantastic at helping me develop a project. you know you get an idea and then finding the simplest way to do it and the way to break it down so you can teach it I mean, I really learned on that show and from her and from the people who worked there um I don't know some of the projects were things I'd made my whole life, and they were kind of no brainers, but there were other things that I in- invented just. I spent like a summer, probably took about a summer, making all the things. Like, you know, I want to work with metal, but I'm not really sure how. And so I get people to help me, or I just experiment. So some things took me a month to figure out because I just didn't know what I was doing. And then other things I've been making since I was 10. So Give
0: me some examples. What have you been making since you were 10?
1: Oh, the jeans bag, turning jeans, turning jeans into stuff I've always been doing. But, I, you know, I'm definitely not alone in that. But, yeah, cutting up jeans taking jeans, turning them into skirts, been doing that one for a long time, taking t-shirts and cutting them up and, you know, doing things to them, and anything related to embroidery. I mean, I love embroidering, so the sachets that are embroidered, just teaching embroidery stitches Mm -hmm. was fun. And then I some things, like there's a newspaper flowers project, and, Mm -hmm. you know, we done a a tissue flower project on, on Martha Stewart, and I definitely learned that, but... Wanted to adapt it. I mean, in general, what I like to do is find a traditional craft and adapt it. Like the older and weirder the craft, the better. Like there's a there's a technique called paper piercing that the Victorians would do, and they'd cut cut out like Cupids and all sorts of foofy ornamentation in paper. And I guess it was in the era of you know silhouettes and things. Uh, but I love the idea of piercing paper. It sort of makes it like sculptural. And but I did away with just, you know, a thumbtack and a piece of cork, and then, you know, you trace a picture, you write words, and you do it in about three minutes. That's more my speed. So that's the kind of project I love, is when I I find a technique, but I make it probably easier, faster, and for me, more fun. I I don't have a ton of patience, so if if I don't get results pretty soon, I I move on.
0: Well, and that's good, too, for a lot of people who think that in order to craft, they need to have like days set aside, uh, which none of us really have that luxury yeah. in today's society, we always have a lot of demands on our time, so right. the book this book is great because it gives people a lot of jumping off points also it's you know it, it, for those who don't know anything say they've never embroidered anything before in their life, they could still do the projects in your book because you explain what to do to get yeah. started and those of us who have embroidered or applicate or whatever the project may be it gives us an idea like oh. Like the projects to give, and that the making little um, pouches out of food wrappers. Oh yeah, it's really kind of a cute idea. And actually, you'll laugh at this um, when I go to Subway and I get the the meal, which I shouldn't get because it comes with chips. You know, <laughs> so it's like I'll do this like turkey wrap, low fat, and then yeah, I'll have some Fritos, please. You know, yeah, <laughs> totally ridiculous. But I'm like, but I'm doing this. I'm going to craft with this. You know. Oh, good. So I bring, well, I bring home the wrapper, and I, was, I had a, like two wrappers, or two or three wrappers. Okay, maybe four wrappers. Uh-huh. So i sitting up by the kitchen sink. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to wash these, and I'm going to do other this stuff. And my husband's like, what for? And I said, well, I'm making something. And he just laughs because there's a lot of things around our house. That he'll be he'll like, can I, can I throw this away? Or is this a craft project? You know, um, so it's. But it's, it's. I haven't actually done that yet. But no, I that thrilled me. That I mean, I'm. I,
1: my whole huge number one goal in life is to get people to craft with just what's around. And well,
0: yeah, and I'm also saving jar lids. Too. Oh, and good. I noticed that you
1: had a project
0: in there with I jar do. lids, and I'm trying to figure out a way. I want to make some some funky brooches. huh. And it sounds. I mean, I look at these things. I'm like, man, this is going to be kind of wacky. But um. But yeah, I think do it. There's just. I love it when you can make something out of just something you're going to throw away Mm -hmm. or something that's totally free, something around your house. Yep. Because there's less guilt involved. Because when I come back with, like, big packages from um, the craft store. Right. And I have to kind of explain myself, you know. And I don't really have to. My husband um doesn't ask me, "What are you what's in your bag?" You know, right. but I just feel like overridden with guilt. You know, so I'm no, like, "Okay, I I'm going to use this for this, and then I'm going to make this for Christmas, and then this is someone's birthday
1: present." Right. And then sometimes that never
0: happens. It just goes in my stash.
1: <laughs> right. I uh, know. I've bins and bins of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I first of all, snack wrappers and packaging is one of my favorite secret craft supplies. It's free, obviously, and it's really a lot of it's strong and and the design of packaging is often beautiful bright colors interesting lettering i mean i love to just stand at a deli counter and there's a whole usually there's a the part where you pay and then the whole section below you is, is candy mm-hmm. and i just love to look at the wrappers and pick out the best ones or i love if i'm in a foreign country i love to get just hold onto the candy wrappers cuz they're different weirder and fun and um you know and the words are in other languages and and then I love to use those. You can make the little wallets, like in the book. Um, they're great for scrapbooking too. You can just cut them out and cut out flower petal shapes, and and you can sew them onto a page. You can. They're just beautiful and bright, and they're kind of water resistant, um, so they're stronger than a lot of paper. Mm-hmm. So almost, you know, things. If you have a project you might do with pa- paper or a scrapbooking project, you know, think of wrappers as an option too. And they're just a nice texture to mix in. They're usually shinier. Um, so, like, for collage and for sewing, um, so, yes, save, save packages and keep, and then you start to be aware of which ones are stronger. Some have, like, you poke them and they fall apart and some hold together better. Like, ones that are a little foilier.
0: Do you have a favorite, um, wrapper that you like to use a lot?
1: I do. Um, the deli half a block away from me sells this, like, Korean candy, Mm -hmm. and the wrapper's it's in my book. A lot of the wallets are made out of it. The the wrappers, it'll be like strawberry Oh, yeah, yeah, candy. I see
0: that here. Yeah, I see that.
1: And, yeah, and then, but the whole cover is, like, close-ups of strawberries, like, made into sort of a wallpaper, and then there's Korean text on top of it, and so I love that. I love Japanese candy. I live sort of in a near-Japanese neighborhood where I can get beautiful, beautiful candy wrappers, and, you know, candy's pretty good, too. Um, yeah. But even stuff like Frito packages, they can be good. I, I like those, too. I think I've made Doritos and Fritos, and but a lot of candy, you know, because it's for kids, so it's bright and wild and tries to get your attention, so that has a lot of nice stuff. Old-fashioned wrappers, like old-fashioned potato chip kind of wrappers,
0: anything. Well, I think it just opens up the possibilities, and it's so cool, too, for people like, you know, college kids or people that just can't justify spending a blowing a wad at the craft store, there's so much you can make with what you already have, or what you might be throwing into your trash. I you know? agree. I mean, so, I,
1: I I try to look at craft stores. I mean, I, I go to Michaels and I want to buy everything too, but I try to look at it like a diet, like pick the things I really want that are worth it and get those, and then I try to make everything else. I try I try to use what I've got as much, you know. Right,
0: right. Well, and sometimes I mean, obviously you can't make all your tools that you need. Right. There's some, certain things that you really need. Like right. You're not gonna. Get a bone and carve a needle out of it, you know, to make your embroidery stuff. You know, obviously there's some things, but um, I think your book is a great example of just being able to take what you have in your house, whether it be the old pair of jeans that you've been hanging on to, or you know the the wrappers or the jar lids or the buttons you've saved off old shirts, or when you buy new garments, I always keep those buttons. Yep. I find that buttons really rarely fall off. Oh, maybe I, I should Maybe I shouldn't say that because I like the fact that they attach an extra one right. to buy a garment. It's classy. Yeah, it's very classy and I and crafters love it yep. I have a whole thing of, I've always kept
1: those. And you know, another thing that took me a while to figure out is you know, you, you start to save craft supplies and they start to take over your house but I had an epiphany one day and realized they're all so beautiful incorporate them into your house so I have this big shelf filled with jars, and each jar is filled with buttons, and it's like a sculpture. It's like a display in a museum. I love it. And and I divide them by color, you know, like a jar of red buttons and a jar of blue buttons and a jar of metallic buttons and a jar of white shell buttons, and they all sit on this big shelf, and it looks great. And I don't have to, I don't have to hide them away. Well, so. it
0: sounds very pretty. It's a great tip for people to incorporate Well, and very inspiring, too, because you might look at that and get an idea for something that you want to make that you wouldn't, if they're packed away in a drawer, that you can't open because it's too stuffed. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You're not going to be able to, you know, you're not going to have that same inspiration.
1: Yeah, it does get me excited. Like, I just did um, some embroidery for a friend, and it didn't, needed some oomph, and then I just looked at my jar of red buttons, and I ended up sewing a frame around the edge of buttons.
0: Oh, so, awesome. And it
1: looks, and it, it came out great. I like it as much as the embroidery. I mean, I like I, I like using buttons not as buttons. I like using everything not the way it's supposed to be used, pretty much. And, you know, I encourage that, too. But there is a project of the book using buttons as um, for mosaic. And
0: I have to say, I think that's probably one of my favorite projects oh. in the book. And because, you know, I, I've done the, you know, where you get the tiles. I think right. someone gave me a kit, and you give, you know, you put the tiles on there. And I didn't. I didn't put the um, grout on it because I just mm-hmm. didn't like how it turned out, and um, I'm thinking, yeah, I think those tiles are coming off, and buttons are going on. Because do it with buttons. I, lo- I have tons of buttons, and I love the look of it. It's
1: it just, looks really it nice. Looks I really like all white. If you do all white buttons on a, you know, on a flower pot or a yeah, vase. Yeah, that
0: looks fantastic with the pink flowers in, in the book. That's yeah. just, it's very striking. So I, I yeah, I love that. And so you, it looks like you had so much fun doing this book.
1: I did, and then I got to hire my Martha Stewart friends to help me. Um, That's pretty cool. Which is pretty cool. Oh, actually, I also worked on this other show uh, called Craft Corner. Deaf- yeah, yeah, we got to talk about that. Oh, yeah, so that actually, I'm going, was that when I was doing my book? I don't remember what happened when, but there was definitely this downtime where um, where the Martha Stewart people, a lot of them didn't have jobs because she was, she was away, um, So I hired probably three or four Martha Stewart friends, you know, incredibly talented people I was so lucky to get. And they helped design projects for the show. I guess, should I explain the show? Yeah, explain the show a little bit. So you've seen it?
0: I have actually not seen it. It's ridiculous that I haven't seen it. It's embarrassing that I haven't seen it. Well, it
1: kind of came and went, and it was on like, you know, a small cable channel. But that was pretty fun too. It was, um, because I also got to do comedy and crafting, which rarely come together, (laughs) Um, but they should. And it was it's uh, craft corner death match. Uh, two crafters go in, one comes out. And it was kind of a craft-off. And the idea behind it, um, some producers I worked with at The Daily Show sort of spun off, they left The Daily Show and started their own production company. And one of their ideas was to do this show. And I think the inspiration was like, you know, crafts on TV get treated like, and now you're going to make some stitches, and now you're going to take this, thing and do the thing and it's so like calm and soothing and they want craft to be uh, wild and crazy and violent and um, they thought the contrast would be really fun and I agree because also I think craft should be like messy and wild too well
0: I think yeah bring it on you know let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's get to it
1: yeah. I don't think a lot of people thought when we did the show uh, that we were making fun of crafting and crafts, but obviously we aren't I mean you could tell I'm not and we love we love crafts. everyone on the show loves crafts. we just want to like basically take crafts and treat it like a wrestling match, and we had a host who did color commentary as if it were a wrestling match. Like, ah, oh, she's using primary colors. Oh, my God, what a move. <laughs> and, you know, people would each get, like, a stack of plates, and they'd have ten minutes to smash the plates and make a mosaic. In just ten minutes. In ten minutes, yeah. And, you know, while this commentator is saying stuff. Or they'd have to, um, you know, take underwear and bedazzle them. Um, or they'd have to... Um, you know, use glow-in-the-dark paint to make a mural, or it's really fun crafts. And, and you know, we also wanted to teach projects in the process, and we would always cut away and be like, if, you know, you at home don't have to do it in 10 minutes, here's how you can do it. And we'd do a little tutorial on on the real way to make these things, because, so the show was supposed to be fun just as entertainment, and also for crafters, so a bunch of the Martha Stewart people helped me develop projects, and... And that was my job on that show: was the the craft side. How of thing. long did
0: that last? How long was it on?
1: Not so long. One season. So we, yeah. I think we probably made thirteen episodes. Each episode had three crafts, but that was a lot of crafts. Just oh yeah, yeah. Do thirty nine crafts quickly? I mean, my book only has like twenty, twenty five, and that took me a summer. So, and also, not every craft is fun to watch. So they had to be things that were, you know, big and visual and messy and fun. But we, we also and. We have some great ideas. Like somebody made, um, if you take a roll of tickets, like a big you know, uh, spool of tickets like you get at the movies in the olden days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and you, But the spiral of paper, you can like mold and shape it like a pot. And right. you can make vases and pots and stuff. And we did that. And you know, people had really interesting ways to, to make things. And it was about celebrating making things. So it was, it, it's still on um, the website for the Style Channel. They still have the projects up. Uh, God bless them. But the show the show went away. I think it may have gone to Canada for a while. Oh, oh, but when people would win the matches, so real people would go, and then real crafters or or celebrities would judge it, um so we had like earth a Kit, we had famous chefs, and we had these people saying, you know, judging them on like utility and beauty, and that was fun. And then if you won the first couple rounds, you got to go up against the craft lady of steel. Yeah, I actually saw, I did see a clip of the show.
0: And so I saw the craft lady of steel, which is just really cool.
1: She's like the superhero of craft. (laughs) She never speaks. And you just, she's like a, you know, a giant of craft. And you go up against her. And then you have a craft off with the craft lady of steel. And sometimes she would lose. Usually not, but sometimes. She was was pretty badass, though. So it was a really fun show.
0: Any chance that something like that would come back? You think?
1: Uh, I would love to do another show like that, and I think, I think that was I don't know, probably two or so years ago. Uh, you know, I think crafting has spread farther now, and yeah, I think, I think more... the climate
0: might be right. Crafting and rebellion has become yeah. more intertwined. Where people are like, "Yeah, I craft. What do you want to make? You know, uh-huh. to make something of that." You know, well, the it's renegade something... craft is yeah. amazing. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, so the, the whole crafting with attitude is kind of like the hip thing now. So. Yep. Yeah, and I'm going to craft regardless of whether it's hip or not, just because that's what I do.
1: Good. So. No, I agree, and I, I hope there's more crafting with attitude. And I like how widespread it's gotten. I love seeing the, the renegade crafts fair just to see what people are making. and what And, you know, usually there's, like, skulls and weird birds and sea creatures, and it's exciting. It's no longer like, you know, a goose with a bonnet.
0: Exactly. It's something where if you have some anger and you knit or crochet, lace with skulls into it, you know. I mean, a lot of work, and it's become something beautiful, which is really
1: interesting. You can craft with anger. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, days gone by. I'm sure people were secretly crafting with anger and knitting with anger. Yeah, but they
0: were making – still felt pressure, I think, to make pretty – everything had to be pretty. Right. And I think now it's like you can be honest as a crafter. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some cool – you know, like the anti-craft, the girls that um, started that website, and, you know, Renegade, of course. And just Mm -hmm. some of these things where people are going – and not everything is goth when you show up at the show. But it's okay if you are goth, which I like. There was not a place for that at the true. the, the bazaar at the high school not yeah. long ago. You know, so yeah.
1: And the craft community is just spread in a way that it di- it didn't exist when I was when I was younger. When I was in my twenties, there wasn't this network. There wasn't the internet. Mm-hmm. But I oh, yeah. you know. I am not very like bloggy or computery, but I I get excited when I I'm starting to join like see blogs and look at the Etsy site and or SD, Etsy. I see, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and actually I'm I'm a bigger fan of, like, the physical community. Like, in New York there's a studio called Make where you can take classes in, like, how to make shoes, how to make lingerie, how to dye yarn with Kool-Aid. Like, it's a physical place. Yeah, I want to go there
0: someday because I think I've heard some great things about it.
1: It's really, really great. You know, and then people are, like, having nights at a bar. There's a bar in Brooklyn where they go. On Thursday night is knitting night. So when people come together... Is it's really great because crafting can get a little solitary and isolating, and um, so it's nice to do it with people, and it, I think it's happening more and more. Yeah. So it's, it's very, very heartening.
0: Well, and you've contributed because you, you've had, um, you know, through your work, um, from everything from your TV work to your book, and uh, I think, I mean, I really enjoyed the book, and I, I like having it on the shelf to pull off, and uh, my sister just made some of those bottle cap um, necklaces. Oh, good. Yeah, so it's, and, you know, it's just really great, and I, I'm interested in what you're going to do next. What are you, well, what are you working on right now?
1: I'm still freelance writing.
0: For who, who are you freelance writing for now?
1: Uh, sometimes Domino Magazine, sometimes corporate websites, whoever wants to give me some dollars. But I'm really working to develop my next book, and I loved making Alternacraft so much. I, the follow-up I think I, is going to be more about recycling. Which isn't that big a leap because most of alternative crafts is recycling
0: right mm-hmm.
1: so but I think I just want to emphasize that more and call it out more because people want to do it and and also recycling crafts don't have to look like some dorky ecology class stuff. it can right. be really beautiful, and um I think more and more books have it and Plus, there's all these old traditions of, like, quilting, and those that's recycling, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I want to, you know, doing things like projects with bottle caps. Uh, I just want to do a book of beautiful projects that are all from found materials and things in your house and have you have people not buy anything except maybe a tool here and there.
0: That's awesome.
1: So it's really fun to think about. And, and so I've been um, looking at other books. You know, it's funny. There's these books from the 70s that are kind of – dorky, like, how to make your own yogurt, um, you know, with, you know, how to, how to take, um, use nylons, ladies' nylons, and braid them into a rug. Like, some of the crafts are, like, hideous, but I love, love, love collecting and looking at craft books from the 70s, so I, and some of them have great ideas that I can develop and modernize, so look at those, and then there's some great books out now, like, have you seen this book, Craftivity?
0: Yeah, I actually it? have, I, I interviewed the author. Oh, I love it. So yeah, I love it too. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. it's
1: fantastic and it's a lot of a lot of projects
0: from recycled
1: Yeah, like underwear stuff. out of t-shirts and oh my stuff God. like that,
0: you know. Yeah. Yeah, stuff that I just wouldn't have thought of and yeah, yeah it's really fun. And well, so do you have you do you have a date of when your book's coming out? Do you have a deal on this or No, like I'm still you're... I'm
1: still just finishing up the proposal, getting okay. it out there and you know, hope to hope to do it soon, hope to do it this winter. I think I'm going to go this winter to Austin, Texas and hang out there. Um and make stuff there. My boyfriend's got a house there, and he's also a big influence and inspiration in terms of recycling. He he made a whole house out of recycled materials. And wow, that's great. It's, yeah, and solid mosaics, and it's a good, inspiring environment, and I think we're going to get out of the winter cold and go to Texas. So and there's the Austin Craft Mafia, and have you had Jenny Hart on your show? She's really I great. I have not,
0: but I do want to have her on the show, definitely.
1: Yeah, She's amazing. She lives down there and is a friend of mine. And Yeah, um, I'm a
0: big, I'm a fan of her work.
1: She's one of my craft heroes. What well, got...
0: she's, she's been able to do yeah. as far as putting embroidery on the map is really mm-hmm. phenomenal. So
1: And she's... making embroidery cool and not dorky, I mean, not, not just not dorky to do, but her designs. Well, it's like...
0: just, it, people respect it now, yeah. you know, and she's, she's basically made that happen. So yeah, I, I really would love to talk to her. Well, I don't know if you have any other things you'd like people to know about your book or your work or anything else that... Mm.
1: I'm trying to think. Oh, can I talk about scrapbooking and my feelings about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of strong feelings about scrapbooking and they're not always happy feelings. And I'm glad that it's caught on so big and I just had, you know, I'm a big recycler and scrapbooking originally was something people would do to sort of keep, you know, like to archive the, their ticket stubs and their cocktail napkins and their corsages from the big dance. And I went to the craft supply you know industry fair a couple of years ago in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and a good one third of the space and booth was devoted to scrapbooking materials and I love collage and I love paper and I love photographs and but i did, I'm slowly being driven insane by the scrapbooking business because there's so much stuff to buy and it makes I don't want people to do it I want them to find things I, I feel like Scrapbooking has lost its original meaning, and it's, there's a lot of companies out there that are kind of doing the creativity for you.
0: Yeah, my, this is a – I mean, it's interesting that you bring this up because I know when I interviewed a folk singer
1: in um, <laughs> one of my earlier
0: episodes, um, she had mentioned that she was kind of annoyed by scrapbooking. Like, she doesn't like it at all and doesn't think it's a craft, and I thought, oh, boy, here we've offended all I know. People. But – I mean, this is a hot-button topic just in my own immediate family with my sisters and I get into it a little yeah. bit on, on this topic because um, they're more into scrapbooking than I am, and yeah. I and I don't really – my whole feeling I, – I agree with what you're saying totally because I think that, that scrapbooks used to be, you know, you collect artifacts from your life and you present them in a nice way that's yeah. going to keep everything – you know, preserve it for the years, and now uh, you can go and buy, like – you know, your Halloween papers, your right. your wedding papers, your all these papers. And, well, it's great to have some, you know, that does definitely spruce things up. But some of these come with kits where you put fo- photo A here and photo B there, and it's yeah. all very scripted. And it does, people don't have to do, like, they don't have to really be creative. You can kind of just throw everything together. And I firmly believe that everybody is capable of being yeah. creative. You it's know? like
1: buying a Hallmark card at uh- You know, which has everything done for you. I I always would rather make a card and have someone make a card for me than yeah. We
0: make yeah. We make our cards here, and we usually use photos that we've taken, or sometimes ridiculous photos we find on the internet, and we write. My husband is famous for this. He writes just bizarre, like there'll be cards that people just laugh and they're the ones that people pass around because it's, oh yeah, let's see what kind of card Jeff came with this time, you know. And it's because, yeah, when you make a Hallmark card, I mean, you buy a Hallmark card and nothing against Hallmark. um, If people don't write a note at all in it and just sign their name,
1: it's so impersonal. Yeah, it's not as special. And I know some people sort of, need the extra help to, like, get their feelings across. Right, because
0: sometimes you're not going to, you know, just, you know, break down in tears um, five minutes before the party doing this, like, heartfelt thing. But, yeah, I I, I see what you're saying about scrapbooking. Well, and I also,
1: I want people, I'm not against scrapbooking, like, sitting down and taking your photographs and presenting them in a cool, beautiful, fun way, like, you went to the beach for your vacation, you want to take your beach pictures and do something cool with them, with, like, sand and umbrellas and you know, beach umbrellas and towels, like, that's cool. But it, what drives me extra nuts is seeing, going to the craft store and then for $6 you can buy little gold ballet shoes that you glue on your, like, kid's picture from her ballet recital when, like, you can go through a magazine and find a picture of a dancer or you can, you, you can scrapbook and you can collage. You Basically, can find an old charm in your jewelry box, yeah, you know. You can draw some ballet shoes. Yeah. About, um you can find them on the internet, print them out, it's even, it's still better. Like, I just, it's it, it's created, it's just turned people into consumers more, and I think part of the joy of crafting is not being a consumer.
0: Well, I think if you get to the point where you have so much stuff that you can't even begin to start, because it's like, if you, it's like you're having a craft store experience in your own house. Like, right. I've gotten to the point sometimes where I, if you're at a craft store, I look around and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's just so much stuff, Why? what am I even, what did I come in here for? You know, and you have right. to kind of collect yourself, be like, okay, focus and get out with the thing you came here for and not 50 other things, you know, yeah.
1: Or if you want a scrapbook, have a pile of scrap paper, scrap fabric, some rubber stamps, stickers. You don't even need stickers. You just need paper and glue stick. You can make your own stickers. And go crazy and make things and, and make... I'm all for, like, spending time, enjoying photographs and presenting them to people and helping, but I was like, don't buy all the little, like, silk flowers made for you It's $5 a pop. It's just... Well, a lot of the
0: yarns that they're using for yeah. um scrapbooking, it's like 3 yards of yarn for $2 or something. You can buy a whole skein right. of like 120 yards. Yeah, see,
1: the skein. For,
0: you know, $4, you know, it's like uh, so it's it is a little bit out of control and I think I mean obviously it's a personal preference if if people really feel they need to do this and want to do it then, you know, that's fine. It's their right to do it, but but I do think there are so many other options where you can save money and feel less yeah. guilty about um, having, like, loads of stuff around you.
1: Right. Yeah, that's true. You don't you don't have to store it all if you're not buying it all. And I, I was watching, um, I think it's called The Girls Next Door. It's that reality show about Hugh Hefner's playmates who all live in his house. <laughs> and there's a scrapbooking room. And I was like, wow, that this is a cultural moment that, like, Hef ladies have a scrapbooking room. And on one hand, I'm happy because... Everyone's crafting, yeah. and I'm all for that. And I'm I'm happy that the playmates are are crafting too. But I bet that that scrapbooking room has a lot of like six dollar metal ballet slippers that they're gluing on. Oh like, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: They're not cutting stuff out. They're not going through magazines, to cut stuff out. I mean, they should. They it's a it's they got Playboys. Use the back issues of those. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. They can get some nice steamy photos out of there. Oh, I'm sure goodness. they get a discount on
1: back issues. Yeah, yeah, I'm
0: sure they do. Especially if they're in them, you know. No um.
1: kidding. <laughs> that, it, see they. Make a scrapbook out of magazines. And that, that is in. a scrapbook
0: that you, know, that, you know, all the dudes in the family would want to page through,
1: you know. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I should call them and tell you about it. But.
0: Yeah. No that's, no, that's interesting, though. But it is, it is a kind of sign of the times when – because we're consuming and it is interesting because handmade has kind of gone to an extreme, too. Right. Because people are buying a bunch of stuff to make things
1: by hand. Right, and seems so to be handmade anymore. There seems to be
0: something kind of wrong about that. You know? Yeah,
1: but then I think, you know, I'm writing books, and I'm trying to sell books, and they tr- p- trees get killed to make the books. Right, so, right. You know, people need to buy things. I, I just, you know, I feel like buying a book or buying a tool, you get more out of, you know, it can beget many, many projects, and hopefully it'd be worth it. Well, so what you
0: have to do is, when you do your proposal, mm-hmm. ask that your book be printed on... Recycled paper and maybe some kind of cool, um, you know, packaging that's, that's oh. will, you know, make it earthy, the whole thing.
1: I think that's good. I like, it definitely has to be a recycled paper. I'll be super duper hypocrite. but Yeah, but I think, I
0: mean, there's ways to make the whole process, um, you know. And if that's a handbook to how people can live and craft in a more earth-friendly way, you'll be doing I, your part. I hope
1: so. <laughs> I know. I wrestle with this. So, like, sumerism versus thrifty, saving Earth-saving. Well, I think of it. as
0: long as we have the conversation and people can kind of—I mean—because it's up to every individual to kind of right. look at what they're doing and say, "Okay, can I do more with less?" You know. Right. You know, do I have too much and make a change or curb their spending or whatever? It's everyone's—it's an individual choice. But I think as long as we're having the discussion, then we're going to be okay. You know. I think so.
1: Yeah. It's just, and raising awareness about it, its just something to think about. And and, and your craft can all still be beautiful. It's just something to mind well i think a lot of
0: it is the creativity comes out of the person it's not you can't
1: buy it in a box or in
0: a bottle or in anything it's it's really what you do so as long as people realize that they can be confident without a bunch of materials bought at a store or manufactured by somebody so now that we've offended everyone who scrapbooks, um
1: you know and i actually i love scrapbooks my next book is definitely going to have some scrapbooking projects um again i like scrapbooking but um but it'll just be sort of a new approach, like, using what you've got. Like, uh, one thing I really love doing that I've been doing a lot lately is, is sewing. You know, I like to sew anything that you can poke with a needle. Sewing photographs and sewing photographs two things. Oh, that's a
0: great way to put things in a scrapbook, too. Yeah,
1: completely. Yeah. And I, th- I think a lot of the scrapbooking people already do do that, and I, I they have kits that come with, like, special needles and piercers. And-
0: yeah, but if you show them how they can just do it, themselves without all that stuff right you just need a needle yeah you don't need a special piercer well i can't wait to see this book i think it's going to be you got to tell me when it comes out and tell me when and we'll have you back to talk about it okay that'll be fun well i really appreciate your time so much i mean this has been a fantastic um discussion okay we're talking about all these things i love martha stewart and john stewart and everybody so it's it's been really great so thank you very much for sure it was a real pleasure to talk to you so okay you take care have a great day all right okay bye Okay, that was fun. I, had a, I, I really enjoyed that interview and I hope you did too. I want to remind you to check out craftsanity.com where you will find a stitched cereal box CD case design. And just wait till you see these photos. I mean, this is really something else. Jessica did a fantastic job embroidering. She actually outlines the word Cheerios and does some other little decorative embroidery on this CD case. If you're into crafts, you probably will be able to find what you need in your house, which is just great. So um, you can do a little recycling, have fun. This would be one that would be great for the kids, too. Jessica is going to sign a couple books, and we're going to be giving those away. I'd like to invite you to leave a comment on the blog. And then uh, the way I've been doing this seemed to work pretty well last time. Leave a comment on the blog and then copy paste your comment into an email message and send it to jennifer at craftsanity.com. And what I'll do then is put everyone into a folder in my email, and then we'll have Abby and Amelia do the, a drawing. And as far as topics go, anything you want to say about this episode, please get your entries sent to me by Friday, February 2nd. Just a little side note, I mentioned at one point that I was collecting Frito wrappers. I just have to tell you, those days are over, folks. I'm uh, not eating Fritos anymore. But they would make great little wallets following the instructions in Jessica's book. I also have to thank some folks, and this is a rather belated thank you in some cases. But I want to thank Sarah in Wisconsin, Michelle in Australia, and Deb in California for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate that. And I'm still amazed when people write and thank me for this show and make donations and buy t-shirts. and That's really great, you guys, because I have to say that in the last year, putting together this show has brought me... I mean, it's been tiring. I'm not going to lie about that. It's It's been exhausting at times, but it has been one of the best experiences that I've had as a reporter and journalist because I've gotten to talk to some of the most fantastic people, very creative people, and... Then to have email dialogues with many of you listeners at home, I, I am so grateful. Yeah, I really, I really missed you guys. I really did while I was gone. And people um, emailed me, and I'm sorry, I wasn't a very good communicator during that time. I just kind of had, I've been, you know, going a little crazy with all, my schedule and everything I'm juggling, but I should have told you guys what was going on. Anyway, after the music, you can hear what's going on. I want to thank Jessica again for being a fantastic guest. And coming up with a great project to share. And she sent me all kinds of photos and all this stuff. Very organized. Thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you to all of you for being patient. I think this year is going to be a good gear for us. I hope that we make some cool stuff this year. And that we get some cool discussions going on. If you have any suggestions for me this year. People you'd like to hear from. Uh, keep in mind, I have about six more episodes to get out. Before I'm going to tape any new shows Please let me know. Send them my way. Jennifer at craftsanity.com. All right. I'm going to sign off for the regular portion of this show. And if you choose to keep listening, that's up to you. You can find out what I've been up to, where I've been for these last several weeks, and what I've been doing. And if not, I'll see you next week. i got another great show um, coming up. And uh, forgive me if I'm not able to get these things like clockwork out on the same day every week because uh, it's going to be a little challenging. Until next week, folks, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me.
1: Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman-Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about
0: today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote
1: for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.
0: Okay, so I guess some of you may still be listening. If not, I'm just talking to myself. It won't be the first time. Okay, so where has Jennifer been for the last several weeks? You know, it's um crazy thing happened. The end of December, I kind of decided, you know, like a lot of us do, I decided that, you know, it's time to get serious, Jen. Your kid, your your baby is walking and, uh, you know, you can't really use that whole I just had a baby rationalization when I look in the mirror for why I don't look the way I really should look, I'm. I used to be an athlete, three-sport athlete in high school. I ran uh, cross country and track, and I was a swimmer, and um, very active person. Always, I uh, love sports, and always, you know, looking to play sports, rollerblade, do whatever, you know. And you know how it is, you know, many of you who've had children yourself, um, or even just gone away to college and packed on the freshman 15, um, you know, and then the married 15, and then the pregnancy 15 plus so the maybe it wasn't pregnancy maybe it was something else you got a job that stressed you out and started eating bonbons i mean stuff happens in life you know we we found these traps where we suddenly become more sedentary and you know we're not moving as much as we did when we were younger and it catches up and it kind of sneaks up on us you know or suddenly you look in the mirror and you're like good god what happened you know and i kind of had kind of a moment like that where i was just like this is ridiculous i'm 30 years old And I haven't worn shorts in the summer for the last, I want to say, oh, geez, like three or four years. I mean, it's crazy. So I'm I'm young. I should be able to feel comfortable in a pair of shorts. So, damn it, this summer, I'm going to be comfortable in a pair of shorts because I am working out like there's no tomorrow, basically. I um, decided I'm a newspaper reporter. I work for the Grand Rapids Press in Michigan, and I decided to take on kind of a, we're doing a seri- health series at the paper, and we we're kind of trying to brainstorm ideas of how we could inspire the public to get in, involved and get off the couch and, you know, get in shape this year. And, um, I you know, I think I'm pretty sure this was actually my idea, you know, so I can't really blame it on anyone else. I can't say, well, you know, so my editor twisted my arm into this, and look at me, I'm suddenly publicly humiliated. This was all of my own design. And um, I have to say it was probably one of the more foolish things I've ever done. But I uh, decided that I was going to publish my weight in the newspaper and declare war on my fat. I'm not in a state where I have to lose gobs of weight. I mean, I'm trying to lose 20 pounds. And uh, while that is a lot of weight, it may seem like a lot of weight. I've met people since I began this Fitness, health kick, who have lost so much more weight than that. I mean, I met a man, I want to say a week ago, who's lost 130 pounds. So I am completely conscious of the fact that, you know, I sound like a little whiner. I say, oh, you know, I got to lose 20 pounds. Oh, whoa, whoa, what was me? You know, I I realize that sounds totally ridiculous. Um, I don't have a medical condition that's forcing me to lose this weight. It's not a life threatening thing. It's more of a, I just want to feel good and I want to feel active again. I want to be able to get in the pool and make my arms spin through that water like they used to. And even if it's unrealistic to try to, you know, top my 17-year-old self, I mean, that's not going to happen. But I'd like to be as fast and as toned and, and in the best shape I can be at age 30. And I've found in just uh, three weeks, well, weeks—well, it's, it's going on a month, uh, that I've been at this um, kind of breakneck uh fitness pace I the first thing I did is I went and I had my body age um, test uh, assessment done and so I went to the local YMCA where I'm a member and I used to go in and swim a couple days a week you know I didn't use any of the machines I just would go in and swim and then leave and you know I I wasn't having any results I mean at all because I'd just go in and I'd feel better when I left but I wouldn't do enough in the pool to really make a big difference after I had my uh, body age done I decided that I didn't like the results too much. You know. Blood pressure was okay, but then we got into the whole weight thing. Didn't like that. I mean, I really—I mean, I needed to lose. Uh, you know, I'll just tell you. I uh, weighed in at 165. I'm 5'4", so as you can see, that's not a good combination. You may have more or less to lose, or maybe you don't have any to lose. God bless you if you don't have any to lose. Um, wish I had your metabolism. Um, but, you know, basically what I decided is that, look, the fatty gig's up. I'm facing reality, and it starts today. And so uh, the poor guy who did my fitness assessment, uh, his name's Gary, and uh, he somehow he probably has no idea how he you know spiraled down this road with me. Um, but he uh, ended up becoming my trainer. At the, you know he works at the Y. He feels like a brother to me now. You know he's seen me at my absolute worst, and uh, still talks to me. So I'm amazed. Um, but he's tough, you know, and I, I think that. When I was in high school, you know I had a coach, and for all the sports I played, and you know I think sometimes when you're trying to push yourself to a level you know to the next level and to kind of get your health in order and your in, in I tend to be really aggressive when it comes to um sports um so uh sometimes I think Gary's job is more to help me avoid injuring myself, but I have to say though I'm having fun um you know i've learned I've learned how to box i've uh got to uh, challenge myself. I ran with an extreme runner who runs, this guy runs like 10 to 15 miles a day just for the heck of it. He's not training for any particular race. Uh, I ran with him and wrote a story about it. And all the stuff I'm doing, I'm writing first person stories about this kind of fitness path I'm on to, you know, the, kind of the, The craziness of, you know, what kind of goes through your mind when you can fit into the pair of pants you haven't been able to wear for four years. Um, I've lost seven pounds so far. And, you know, while the – I mean the photos that were taken initially, um, a photographer came from my newspaper into one of my spin classes and took a picture of me on an exercise bike. And I had – I mean I picked probably like the worst outfit you could possibly wear, you know – to be photographed and then they ran it on the front page of the paper like up you know as a little like reefer to the story inside and it was I mean just a horrible moment you know I go to my mailbox to get the paper and I see yours truly above the fold and I just thought okay this is this is really on it's on it this it's go time so I came back in the house uh told my husband that I needed to make a emergency trip to the Y <laughs> and went and you know, did a kind of extended workout um, to kind of put as much distance between my current look and that look of that horrendous photo that was published in the paper. And so through the end of March, we've been working out pretty intensely. And I work out every single day. But, and I, again, I love it. I mean, I I like to work out. So I like running and swimming and biking and all that. So for me, it actually feels like a treat to be able to spend this much time Working on this project, uh, since I'm writing about it, you know I've been able to spend some work time doing some of these things. I've been happy with the results, and feels like I'm kind of coming alive again. And you know I'm off the caffeine, and I'm feeling great. And um, it's it's really a great experience, um, I have to say. And people are writing me and telling me about their fitness challenges and what their goals are this year. And I kind of feel like I'm. I mean, I have to do this. I have immense public pressure on me now. I think there are some readers who are going to be expecting to see some improvements, hoping right along with me that there will be some improvements at the end of March. And I'm not trying to lose 20 pounds by the end of March. I mean, I like to try and lose as much as I can, as fast as I can, in a safe way. Um, I'm not doing any kind of weird dieting. I'm not taking any supplements. I'm not starving myself. I am just making better choices about what goes in my mouth. I... I'm not guzzling the soda pop, um, which was just tons of calories that, you know, were not helping my body in any way. And, uh, in fact, it was making me feel dehydrated. So now my beverage of choice is water. drink water all day long. And I um, eat clementines like there's no tomorrow. That's kind of like my treat. They taste fantastic. And I'm uh, eating a lot of chicken wraps at Subway no meal. So I don't get the pop and the chips. Um, and I really wish they would have some kind of healthy, you know, some options because you can choose from chips or a cookie. Neither of those options are very good for, you know, if you're on a, any kind of health kick. So anyway, um, it's, it's been an adventure and, uh, I'm starting to remember how much of a showboater that I was back in, uh, high school. You know, I I know that my sister and I used to do our share of celebration if we uh, finished races in first place. Um, And for me, it wasn't a thing that happened a whole lot. So when I got a chance to to win, boy, did I savor that. Well, I'm not winning anything because I'm not competing in anything now. But, you know, if I lose a pound or, you know, I run with this extreme runner and I didn't pass out, oh, I did a little showboating. You know, I eight and a half miles, baby, you know, I broke a board in a Taekwondo class last night and did a little showboating about that too. I mean, it's like, I mean, I don't know why, but I feel this sense of urgency about life and I just want to um, celebrate these little silly things. It might just be, you know, no one really cares that I ran eight and a half miles, but you know what, for me, basically outing myself as an overweight person, um, which is kind of, I mean, I never imagined I'd be overweight, you know. And I was seventeen, wearing my speedo. I never, I've never been a thin person, but I was never someone that was considered overweight. You know, I was pretty average for you know my my height. Um, so it's interesting to me to be in this situation now, um, trying to, you know, as my newspaper put it, fight my way back to fitness. It's it's um. You know, it's it's probably one of the more revealing things I've ever done in my life because when you call attention to your displeasure with your own physical appearance and you're you're basically inviting the spotlight and you're saying, Hey, look at me. I'm fat and you know, that was a bit, you know, and I realized, boy, I, I, I turned this light on myself. Um, you know, I'm kinda of wondering if that was a good move. There are times when I'm thinking, geez, this was really stupid. When I'm sitting in the recliner with ice bags on my knees and my shoulders and wondering, why did I do this to myself? Um, but that, those moments pass quickly because I've already seen so many great benefits to being more active and getting out there and exercising. I just feel like I, you know, I'm able to handle stress better. I feel more awake during the day. Um, I'm not going to bed feeling exhausted and waking up feeling just as exhausted. So um, it's it's a great experience. I've been able to meet some fantastic people. And, um, you know, if Gary can help me get through to my goal, um, well, heck, he's already on my Christmas card list. You know, his family is going to be hearing from the Haywoods, I have to say. And, um, you know, it's just, it's been a challenging, it's a challenge. And it's one that um, hopefully I'm up to. And uh, the goal is by the end of March to, uh, I'll be doing my kind of body age test again, and hoping to be more flexible, thinner, lighter, stronger. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, I'm going to have as much fun as possible. And I'm pretty much soaking it up because uh, this kind of assignment is not going to come along again, probably ever. I mean, when else am I going to have this intense public pressure to get myself back in shape? And what's going to happen, I'm realizing, too, that now that I've agreed to this, um, people are going to kind of be looking like, oh, yeah, that's the one who uh, said she was going to lose weight. So I can't balloon back up. I mean, this is like I, I have to do this for real. And I guess the reason why I'm even talking about this on the show is because when I was off on my extended holiday break, um, I started getting email at work from people who listened to the podcast and who had kind of good on a Google search and found me and was re- started reading my articles about this whole health kick that I'm on. And... uh you because know, people were a little concerned, and I really appreciate the fact that you know I've received quite a few emails, a surprising number of emails, because I I didn't really think I'd be missed. You know, I, I I still think I think of myself as a you know normal person, and I don't you know I don't have any kind of illusions about this show, um, you know, being the be all end all. But um, I was really touched the, by the fact that many of you were concerned about you know, am I okay? What's going on? Um I'm okay. I am undergoing a massive transformation though. So um I've had to dedicate a lot of time to that. And so I basically spend time with my family, I work, I work out, and I'm going to you know I, I teach a class and I'm throwing this podcast back into the mix. So the, here's the the good news is once I um you know kind of kind of I'm kind of coming on really aggressive with my getting my fitness level back up to where I like it to be. Um but I'm not going to have to do this for you know, every day for the rest of my life. I mean, uh, I'm hoping to get to the point where I can maintain and not have to worry so much about, you know, every single calorie I'm burning. The reason why I'm writing about it for the paper is because I moved from the news section to the feature section, and um, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. I was kind of burned out on news, and, you know, I'm now in a department where I can actually connect with readers. So when I write things every Sunday... I get feedback from people. People are telling me about their fitness challenges, and I'm starting to tape some audio components. Um, so I'm ha- letting people tell their fitness stories. And it's it's just fun. So if you're interested in hearing more about this crazy, crazy assignment that I'm completing right now for my newspaper, I'll post a link on the Craft Sanity website so you can... Um, what the heck? You might as well be in on this stuff since... Uh, west michigan has been exposed to the reality my reality and how i'm looking to change it um yeah so anyway it's been uh it's been fun and hopefully um i've done my part to inspire others to take up this challenge so hey all you folks at home you know every now and then we got to put down our craft projects yeah i know i can't even believe i just said that but um get out there and uh go for a stroll And if you like to run, run, ride your bike, uh, take a little break. And uh, so that way we can stay healthy because the the point is to live a long and crafty life. Okay, folks, I think this is a total TMI situation. I've told you way more than you want to know. And uh, anyway, it's it's really good to be back. And uh, I will not be doing these long diatribes about my fitness situation every week. Thank goodness. And... uh, you take care and i'll uh, i'll see you. i'll be back soon with another episode of craft sanity in the meantime don't forget to craft sanity my friends it works for me